Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money Express. I'm Glenn James, and you're listening to part three of the three-part mini-series about engaging a financial advisor. On today's episode, I've got Rebecca Pritchard. She's been on our podcast before. She's a financial advisor out of Melbourne, and I'm asking her a heap of questions just to unpack the process of engaging a financial advisor, ask her the difference between you know, a stockbroker and a financial advisor. We talk about how much it costs to see an advisor, what they actually do for you, how they can add value to your life. And I'm sure you'll get a lot out of this. If you are after a trusted financial advisor or mortgage broker, please head to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, fill out some details, and I will have a read and I'll personally introduce you to an advisor or broker that I think can add value to your situation. And remember, if you do value any of these episodes, please feel free to forward them on to a friend. Uh, we love growing the My Millennial Money world and we can't do any of this stuff without you. So, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Well, Rebecca Pritchard, thank you so much for jumping on the phone with me while you're away on a bit of a break. You have an interesting name for an old fat white guy as a financial advisor. Uh, a dying breed. Um, the, that's 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 the what's the opposite of the status quo. That's what they used to be. Um, but I'm very pleased to say that that is no longer the definition of financial advice in Australia. The the guard is changing. Love that. Love it. What should I expect at the first meeting with a financial advisor? Quite often, the very first interaction you'll have with an advisor will be a, a quick chat to just check that the vibe's right um, and make sure that they can help you and you're interested in getting help from them. The a preliminary conversation, though, would largely be focused around what you're trying to achieve, so understanding of your goals and your intentions, um, and and quite possibly, if it's not collected beforehand, some data around your current financial situation. Uh, but that's why understanding what you're trying to do is, is critical, because if you can't answer that, then that conversation has very limited value. It's just so important to just have this around this goals accountability piece, and then within that, there will be specific product recommendations if and when needed. Exactly. And the advisor will be the first one to tell you if now is not the right time to give advice. Um, and Or it might be that the advisor says, all right, I'm going to set you some homework for the next three months or six months. And then at this point in time, we're going to check off that you've done it and, and then move to the next phase um, because there are, there are times when as an advisor where you, you genuinely cannot help even though you want to because the client or the prospective client needs to sort some stuff out themselves first. So what do you think the benefits of financial advice are? It can be as simple as answering a question in terms of solving a problem or a specific need that you have. But the real benefits of financial advice, I feel, are 
protecting you, addressing the things that you don't know and looking after you for years to come. So I know that's vague, but that's also sometimes that's what financial advice is. It's solving a specific problem, but it's also really, really wide spanning. And I I guess that kind of stems to, you know, when YouTube started, uh, everyone thought, oh, the yoga industry and the personal training industry would be defunct because we can just get crap for free off the internet. But that was completely the opposite thing. Is it similar to financial advice? Yeah, I I think that's a really good comparison. And what what the internet has done, what you know, podcasts like yourself, it, it's working to raise the general level of financial literacy in the community. Um, and that, for me as an advisor, means that you can actually have better conversations with clients or prospective clients. And you can really sort people out as well between those who do need advice and those who don't. When do you think the right time uh, to get financial advice is? Well, I think there's a Chinese proverb. It's like the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Um, and before before you have a need is often the best time to get it, like get things set up. Um, if you're, say, if you earn good money or you've got a goal or intention in the future, thinking about it before it's pressing is almost always better. Um, but in the absence of that, getting your A into G now is great. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you could probably ask uh, when's the best time to go see a, a personal trainer or get fit, right? Exactly. Absolutely. And there's there's a lot of comparisons between health and, and advice um, or money um, and, and fitness and Thinking about that proactively, we know we're going to need money in the future. Like, let's call a spade a spade on that. Um, and so, putting yourself into a stronger position as as you can. So, in saying, I don't know necessarily what I'm going to need my money for in the future, but I know I'm going to need it. And therefore, I can get on the front foot now. So, I got advice. I started working with an advisor when I was 23. Great call. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Are there any desired things people should do with their own money or personal situation before seeing a financial advisor? In a perfect world, you'd know your own numbers. And when I say that, you'd have an understanding of what's going on, what's coming in, what's going out, what you own and what you owe. But not everyone can gather that information. Some people get quite overwhelmed by that process. So if that's you and you don't have that info handy, that's that's okay, um, but yes, if you, if you know the information's floating around your house or your brain somewhere, and you can do a bit of a, tr- a bit of a triage of you know the basic lay of the land for yourself, that's really useful. But one of the main questions any advisor is going to ask you is, what are you trying to do? Mm. And if you can't answer that question, and I'm not talking. I'm trying to get an 8% return on investment. That's a terrible answer. Uh, It's around, you know, what's coming up for you? What are you trying to achieve? What do you want your money to – how do you want your money to serve you? You need to be able to answer that. Otherwise, an advisor is incredibly limited or most advisors will say, think about that and come back and see me when you you can answer it. We know that we, you know, when we're sick in our bodies, we don't, um, wait till we're better and then go to the doctor. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there anything that, you know, you know, people should do with their personal finances uh, before they actually come to you? And, and I know, 
you talked at the start with this financial literacy thing and a lot of that is staying out of consumer debt and, you know, running a personal budget or a spending plan. Is it desirable for somebody to uh, be out of consumer debt or well on their way out of debt before they would um, pick up the phone or click a link to book an appointment? Uh, Not necessarily. So if you've got your own plan and you can see that you're moving, I would say it it works really well to talk to an advisor probably a couple of months before you're you're clear of it. So that because nothing happens overnight. So if you want to chat to an advisor when you're on on the way out, uh, that can be really beneficial. But likewise, if you're if you don't have a plan and you're really stumped by this and it's really stressful, then talking to an advisor can help you to deal with that. Um, in the same way as talking with a with a health expert can help you to quit smoking or to lose weight or deal with whatever health issue you're trying to navigate. So it really depends on where you're sitting and what you're currently doing about it as to what's appropriate. I've got a trusted panel of advisors and I know you've talked to many uh, My Millennial Money listeners. Uh, you're a human, you're a nice person, you'll have a chat to anyone, right? Just a 10, 15 minute chat just to see uh, if you can help or if you can point me in the right direction. There does come a time though where, you know, to engage and actually uh, have you commit your systems, your processes, your knowledge, your skill, your time uh, to formal advice or some type of ongoing program. I guess what I'm trying to say is when we get to that point, what would someone expect the cost to be of financial advice? Yeah, it's a really good question. And some businesses will be really transparent with their costs. Some, it can be hard to get that information from. So I, I would say as a reasonable ballpark, depending on your circumstances, because, you know, you can, you can go the whole kit and caboodle or you can have really limited or basic advice. You know, as an individual, you could be looking between two to four thousand dollars upfront, um, or as a couple, it could be between say four to six thousand um, dollars for an upfront piece of advice, which could be you know a good couple of months worth of work um, working with an advisor and uh, them learning more about you, understanding what you need, preparing advice, delivering that, and then implementing it. Mm. So. Uh, people might not be aware of the difference between um, like initial advice and ongoing. So some people need both. Um, some people, a, an initial piece of advice will meet their needs really well. Um, and that's why you, know, you reference sort of that 10, 15-minute powwow on, on the phone uh, can be really important to actually work out what it is a person needs. Do they need advice now, later? What kind of advice do they need? Um, but also financially, it's really important to remember that more often than not, it's your advisor's job to figure out how you can pay for it as well and if you can afford to do it or you can afford to wait. Um, that's that's what they're trained for. Um, and so often people say, I don't know how I'm going to afford that, but actually asking an advisor, how can I afford to pay for you, um, can be a really useful place to start because they do that day in, day out. Are you strangling a galah? I am not. It's a cockatoo. Um, it's, yeah, there's some trees outside my house that the cockies love, um, just really basking in the spirit of Australia right now. We know that it is a significant investment, and I guess that's why 
when people reach out to me and say, I'd like to speak to an advisor, uh, I've got $3,000 I want to invest. I, I mean, the maths say that it's actually, it's not worth spending $3,000 to get investment mm-hmm. advice if you've only got $3,000 in savings. And that's why, you know, my investing school and the spending plan are low cost tools just to get people um, on the road. But why do you think financial advice is so expensive? Oh, how long have we got, Glenn? Uh, so I know this is an express episode. So their advisors have a really high standard that they have to work to. So that's from an education perspective. It's a regulatory and compliance perspective. And whilst a question may seem simple to the consumer, um, there's a often quite a lot of work um, that needs to go in behind the scenes so that we we as advisors can ensure that we're delivering advice that is in our client's best interest. Um, and so we have to take time to do due diligence. Um, the most common example I can give you is like, oh, should I just roll this super fund to this super fund? Um, that's that can never be a quick answer. We have to do research behind that. Um, but that for that reason, what you've just referenced there, advisors are really good as well at telling you, look, I don't think it's the right time for you to get professional advice. Here's, here's some other options for you to consider because if you do have $3,000, then that's a perfect example that getting advice or getting advice in a certain format may not make sense for you, but it may make sense at a different point in time. Yeah. And I- that was a very polite um, way of answering that. But given that I'm no longer an advisor, I stopped being an advisor at the start of 2019, I'll, I'll be frank with everybody. When I was a self-employed financial advisor, it cost me $40,000 per year just to have a license to give advice, which is a crap load of money. Then I think it was like $6,000, $7,000 for professional indemnity insurances. Now, these costs are just increasing. There's a heap of stuff that came out of the Royal Commission that are effectively punishing good advisors for the sins of the 0.5%. And uh, as an industry commentator, the pendulum has swung way too far. And I've said on the record um, at at an event in Sydney with the Financial Services Council that the minister has to wheel in the Minister of Deregulation and work together if there is going to be a sustainable industry uh, for more Australians to get quality and affordable financial advice. So basically as an advisor, if you're paying 50 grand just to rock up, you've got to recoup your costs. And unfortunately, you've got rent, you've got staff, you've got hours and hours of documented advice that has to be delivered in a legal way. That's just the maths of it. So that's just a bit of a sidebar rant. No, I appreciate uh, that one. So- and, and it also, it really does speak to... You know, quite often I would love people to be getting advice when they've got their first $3,000. Like that's a great time. You know, we want to be changing the narrative of advice in Australia around um, you don't have to wait till you have shitloads of money. Um, and so there, there is momentum here. You're right. It has swung. But I, I believe that there's there's enough voices and there's enough energy and the, the industry is evolving that affordability of advice is is forefront of everyone's mind. Yeah. Now, can you pay the fee from your super? Uh, you may be able to. So, if it relates to superannuation advice, uh, then then that option may be available to you. But it also needs to be appropriate. So, if you've got only a few thousand dollars in your super fund, um, or if 
your super one is perhaps quite low relative to your age and your, your retirement goals, then it might not actually be appropriate, even though you can technically do it. So, yeah, thinking about it as it may be an option only when it relates to superannuation advice. Yeah. And again, um, everybody's situation is so different. So, if somebody if someone back wanted to get some advice and there was some super work involved, some cash flow coaching and accountability and insurances, and if it was, and I'm making up numbers here, if it was $3,000, the advisor can say, look, uh, the portion of advice uh, relating to your super is $1,000, so we can take that fee from a super fund. Is that a fair Correct. assumption? Yeah. Yep. Sweet. Okay, this is a, a big one where a lot of uh, media has been out there. Can advisors hide commissions from my investments and super? Uh, no. <laughs> so there, there has been. Um, you know, we're talking. You referenced before the Royal Commission. So there has been some, some interesting, and by interesting, I mean pretty crappy reporting. But advisors have an obligation to disclose to you as the consumer all remuneration that they are receiving, and um, and that needs to be disclosed to you in writing. So if if I'm getting paid, whether I'm getting paid a bonus, a salary, um, a, a commission whatever way, shape or form, I'm any I'm personally getting money or my business is getting money, uh, it has to be disclosed mm. to you in writing. Yeah. And and this is the thing, guys, like there's actually no new super products or investment products available in Australia that has a built-in hidden commission part. So it's actually impossible to... It's illegal. <laughs> it's illegal and impossible. Like you can't go and get an investment product from an advisor today because they just don't have the products anyway. Mm, so, exactly. Is advice tax deductible? Well, this is an area that I will be less diplomatic in. Um, I won't be as polite <laughs> as I was before. Uh, yes and no. So upfront advice is currently not tax deductible, but it absolutely should be. Um so there is a lot of pressure um, in this space at the moment. Accounting advice is tax deductible. Financial advice is not, and it's absolute garbage. Um, ongoing advice, though, uh, can be. So if you liken it, let's use a comparison here. If you liken it to your um, property manager on your investment property um, or something of that nature that's ongoing in nature that helps you earn an income or grow your an asset, like that, ongoing financial advice is tax deductible. But at the moment, you kind of have to cop financial advice, upfront fees on the chin. Like It's like a stamp duty, which is garbage because there's incredible value um, and incredible benefits that can be uh, generated from, from that advice. So, uh, yes, all ministers listening, uh, I will not sit on the fence with this one. Uh, it absolutely needs to be tax deductible. But the joke of it is the... I guess some of the surveys that are out there, and I'll say within three years, advice will be deductible in Australia. It's the, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, but the problem is the FFC's white paper that they commissioned uh, with recommendations, they said, oh, up to $500 to be deductible. And it's like, what bloody planet? It's so arbitrary. Yeah, like what bloody planet are we living on? And that's because a lot of these regulators are seeing advice relationships akin to an accounting relationship where it's a once-off transaction where I don't go to my personal trainer for one session and all my problems are solved for 12 and you months. you got a six-pack? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I, I wish. We can't 
throw in accountants and advisors in the same pond. It's just so different. Well, nor can we cap it because some people financial advice might be cost them a thousand dollars. Other people might cost 10, 15 because that's just where they're at and what they need at that point in time. So it needs to be relative and tailored to the individual circumstances. of socialism uh, when the government start putting um, mandated prices on things. It'd be same saying like, uh, Qantas, you're not allowed to charge over X amount (laughs) to, uh, to fly people overseas. But anyway. I'm getting lost so, here. There is there is movement and a lot of voices in this space. Um, so it, it is simply a matter of time, but uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. What's the difference between a financial advisor and a stockbroker? Uh, very, very dissimilar. Uh, so a financial advisor will be giving you advice on quite a holistic range of um, topics if if they're qualified to, um, which could range from cash flow, insurances or risk management, investment strategies, um, superannuation. Stockbroker, as the name suggests, is they're picking stocks for you. Um, they're, they're brokering the purchase or the sale of those stocks. Um, they're giving you advice in relation to those specific assets. So a, a stockbroker is not an advisor unless they are qualified to be so. Likewise, an advisor is also not a stockbroker. Um, so as an advisor myself, I do not pick stocks, I would very, very happily refer any of my clients to a stockbroker because that's that's their area of specialty. So if you think about, say, a mortgage broker, is is their job is to find you best best mortgage for what it is that you're needing, you would have a conversation with your stockbroker saying, this is what I want. Um, they can give you some advice and make some recommendations, or they could simply facilitate a transaction that you have requested. So it's not all high corporate scary business if you're wanting to engage a financial advisor? No, no, definitely not. And if you take that principle I was referencing earlier around getting in sooner rather than later, having these conversations earlier, it can be really, really fun and really, really enjoyable because you're having it before something's on fire. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's the difference of cruising the real estate app versus like being at an auction going, holy shit, I need to buy something tomorrow. Um so the sooner you get on um, involved in that conversation, the the more enjoyable it can be, and the more you can relate it to your life rather than purely money, the better. If you are still studying and working part time and casual, it might be worth to wait until after you've graduated and into your first mm. uh, full paying job. Yeah, I look. I I would often agree with that. Um, and that's potentially when like a quick chat or a few emails back and forth with an advisor could be beneficial rather than a full-scale meeting to say, hey, what should I be thinking about now? Am I on the right track? Um, you know, what a, and or, you know, listening to a, a kick-ass podcast or being involved in online community so you can start making really good decisions to build your base Yeah. Um, so that then when you are starting your career or you're earning a full-time income, that you're ready to go. I guess my job and the reason I started My Millennial Money, everyone, was because I was I was getting more and more people that wanted to come in for quote-unquote financial advice and they just needed a budget. They just needed to get out of debt. They just needed mm. to do these basic things. And I could not charge someone $3,000 to help them with a budget because... 
I just saw the need of we just need to get people to this level ready to see mm. an advisor and then get in and engage with their own personal situation and goals once they're debt-free, once they've got their spending under control and once they're intentional and ready. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, as an advisor, like we're really grateful for resources like yours um, so that people, there are tools available for people to do DIY um, because you say everyone needs a financial plan but not everyone needs a financial planner. Mm. So if you can be building that plan for yourself, whether you're earning you know, part-time income, you're not earning anything at all. Everyone still needs a financial plan. Um, and so that always needs to be in motion. Totally. Well, we might leave it there. Rebecca Pritchard, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast again. Where can we find you? A pleasure. You can find me at uh, RF Pritch on Instagram or Facebook um, or head to any of your social channels. You'll find me. Sweet. All right. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Thank you. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorised representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services licence 451289.